John, chapter 3, verses 1 to 16. Uh, this can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1064. That's 1064. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh, give birth, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my sayings. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading this morning comes from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 to 15, and this can be found on page 1161 of the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, commencing at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. 
But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning. Our topic this morning is the grace of giving. You can see it up there on the screen. It's a little phrase that Paul uses in this epistle to the Corinthians. Uh, you'll find it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. If you've got your Bible there, it'd be very handy to have it open. Uh, but chapter 8, verse 7 says, See that you excel in the grace of giving. And so this morning's Uh, message is about the decision we're asking you to make for the coming year uh, of supporting uh, your church and its ministry and its mission going into 2023 uh, making a commitment of uh, your giving uh, for the work of the church now there are many demands on our income uh, and if you're anything like me my needs and my desires always exceed my income And so for those of us who name Jesus as Lord, it's very important that we come to a prior commitment uh, to give for his kingdom. And my experience is that when I do that, all my other needs fall into place. Some of them perhaps weren't as important as I thought they were. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, we're going to look at our readings, Corinthians and John, but I want to do it using the outline of our four values. You know the four values we have in Vision 26? So Christ-centred, say them with me, Christ-centred, Bible-based, Spirit-led, mission-shaped. Those values guide all that we do as a church, and those are the values that help us to achieve the vision. The vision, which is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Now I'm going to start with the value of Bible-based 
uh, because I think that then leads into the others well for what we want to do this morning. Um, the fact that we're going to look at the scriptures, and we do that every Sunday, the fact that we're going to look here at 2 Corinthians 8, we're going to look at John 3, uh, surely that gives you the clue that we're a Bible-based church. I could appeal to you to give to God's church because it's a worthy charity, just as worthy as all the other charities out there. And supporting charity is a good thing to do. And I could appeal to you on that basis. But I, rather, I want to appeal to you on the basis of God's word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when we sit under God's word, it feeds our souls, feeds our inner being. They're words of life that, that should sustain us and motivate us and get us going in life. The world says that life is found by spending money on your own pleasures. God's word says life is found through the grace of giving. So we give because God's word calls us to give. God's word instructs us. And when we do give, it brings glory to God. It blesses other people. And so we're Bible-based as we think about our giving. But next, we're also Christ-centred. What's the central motivation of Paul in his exhortation to the Corinthians uh, to give to his Jerusalem appeal? What's the central motivation? Well, it's the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, think of how rich he was. He's the Lord of the universe. Uh, Colossians tells us that through him and by him all things were created. It all belongs to him. The Bible tells us he is in very nature God, Philippians 2. And the rest of the scriptures uh, fill that out, that Jesus is the son, the second person of the Trinity. From all eternity he has enjoyed an intimate relationship with the Father and with the Spirit and all the glories of heaven. He was rich. But Philippians 2 goes on to say he did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being found in human likeness. So Jesus leaves that special place with the Father and the Spirit and comes to this earth, takes human flesh and shares our common life. And so we find him walking the dusty streets of Palestine, mixing with the sick and the socially outcast, coping with fickle crowds and thick disciples, engaging with powerful forces of evil and finally going to the cross. Philippians 2 goes on to say he humbled himself by becoming obedient. What was his obedience? It was obedience to death, even death on a cross. So you see, Jesus becoming poor, it's not just about him taking human flesh and living like us. No, it's about him going all the way to the cross. That's where the poverty degenerates to its lowest point. 
in the degradation, suffering and shame of the cross. Jim Packer, I think, puts it well when he says this. He says, The crucial significance of the cradle at Bethlehem lies in its place in the sequence of steps down that led the Son of God to the cross of Calvary. Paul goes on to say that he became poor in all of that, those dimensions. He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich, us. Rich in redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Rich in grace and peace from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Rich in newness of life. Rich in the gifts of the Spirit. Rich in adoption as God's sons and daughters. Rich in wisdom and understanding. Rich in being predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Rich in the gospel of our salvation. Rich with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Do you recognize where that's coming from? Ephesians chapter 1. Plus a few others that I just sort of thought of as I went. (laughs) Uh, A marvelous picture of, of... what Christ's poverty, his sacrifice, achieved for us. And so Paul says he, did, he, he became poor so that you might become rich. Bring us all the blessings of the gospel. And Jesus' pattern is to be our pattern. It's a pattern of life, a pattern of dying and rising, a pattern of riches to poverty in order that others might be richly blessed. This is the pattern for all those who would follow Jesus. We give up ownership of our financial resources and put them at his disposal. And the power of the gospel is seen in the world afresh. It's a beautiful picture. And to put this all into practice is to excel in the grace of giving. Now that word grace, it's a wonderful word in our Christian vocabulary, isn't it? Uh, it can actually be used in two ways in the Bible. Firstly, it can refer to all that God has done for us in Christ. So the grace of the gospel is Jesus' life, death and resurrection for us, something that happens outside of us that God has just done uh, and it's for us. And that's what Paul's getting at, I think, in this Corinthians passage that Jesus, though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, that we might be rich. It's all about Jesus. Grace is what God does for us. But grace is also what God wants to do through us. So he talks about these Macedonian churches. It's probably churches at at Philippi, Thessalonica and around that part of Greece. Uh, And he's saying these churches uh, exercised grace in the giving of their money with a reckless generosity. A reckless generosity. It was God's grace working through them. And Paul is looking for this same sort of grace to be seen in the Corinthians. And so when he talks about the to excel in the grace of giving, it's about being generous uh, with their contribution to this collection he's making uh, for Jerusalem church. Excel in this grace, he says. So grace is about what God wants to do for us but also what he wants to do through us. And either way, it is a Christ-centred grace. We are a Christ-centred church. Thirdly, we are spirit-led. 
To illustrate this, I want to refer to John chapter 3 and that well-known story of Nicodemus. Now, the amazing thing about this story is that Nicodemus, to all outward purposes, appeared a very spiritual man, a respected Pharisee, uh, a member of the Jewish ruling council, we read there in verse 1. He taught people the Jewish scriptures. Yet Jesus said to him, you must be born again. In other words, you must start again, Nicodemus, start all over. It's not like he's just saying, now there's a few bits of your theology I just want to fix up. <laughs> no, he's saying you're on the wrong track altogether. Go back to the beginning, start again, a new life. And Jesus is talking about a new life in the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the best examples of this I know is the story we looked at last week, the story of, of uh, Zacchaeus. Here's a man who was totally on the wrong track, a man who had to repent That is, go back to the beginning and start again. C.S. Lewis, in uh, his famous book, Mere Christianity, he said this. He said, Jesus Christ didn't come to make you nice. He came to make you new. Christianity is not about teaching a horse to jump better. It's about turning a horse into a winged creature. A new start, a whole new creature. And so this spirit, you see, brings a new birth, a new life that is totally centred on Jesus Christ. It's about knowing him as saviour and the forgiveness he brings. It's about following him as Lord. Zacchaeus found Jesus as his saviour, found forgiveness. Jesus said, salvation today has come to your house. Zacchaeus also followed Jesus as Lord. He gave half his money to the poor. He reimbursed anyone he defrauded four times. And I think that illustrates beautifully a horse becoming a wind creature. A totally new animal doing what it couldn't do before. A new person doing what he never would have considered before. He is a new creature, born again. And so previously where the primary purpose of his money was to look after himself, now it's there for the kingdom of God and he gives it away in bucket loads. Totally new perspective. One of the evidences of the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is this new birth, uh, being led by the Spirit, and people who are filled with the Spirit know this grace of giving. And so we want to be a Spirit-led church uh, in our giving. And then fourthly, uh, mission-shaped. Mission-shaped. The Apostle Paul had such a heart for mission. And that's why he travelled all around the Mediterranean planting churches, but not just planting them, but then pastoring them. And usually that was through his letters, his follow-up letters afterwards. Paul knew his calling was to reach the Gentiles, whereas Peter, James and John were called to reach the Jews. But Paul never lost sight of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. In Galatians 2.9, Paul says, Peter, James and John agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are about Paul's collection for the church in Jerusalem who are doing it tough. Paul is fulfilling his promise to remember the poor. Paul is remembering uh, his agreement with Peter, James and John uh, that Jewish believers uh, were important 
and he has a heart, he still has a heart for them and wants to send this money to support them. One of the great themes in Paul's theology is the reconciliation of Jew and Gentile in one body, the body of Christ. And so Paul argues in Romans 15, 27, he says this, If the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. And so Paul wanted people to see how the gospel made a practical difference and broke down this Jewish-Gentile hostility. He also wanted to counter the false teaching of the Judaizers who were preaching circumcision and causing division. He was wanting to demonstrate the unity of the body of Christ. So there are some huge gospel issues at stake here. This is not just a collection for some poor people in Jerusalem. This is about the gospel. You know, likewise, when we give to God's church, it's a big theological and missional purpose. We're wanting to glorify God. We're wanting the name of Jesus to be lifted high, proclaiming and living him. And we're wanting the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in the world today, bringing his salvation. And so our giving should be mission-shaped, just as the Apostle Paul's was. I find it very pleasing how strong the mission giving is in this church. Our parish council have set a goal that our mission giving be at least 11% of our offertory giving. I think 11% is a good figure, isn't it? We're not just sticking to 10, <laughs> like the old covenant. We're trying to do a bit better. Perhaps go even further next year, eh? But our treasurer, Ian Mortley, tells me that we're meeting that goal. People are giving to our mission agencies and our, the support of those wonderful things we hear about every week. But I want you to know that your offertory uh, giving also has a mission edge. We're running Alpha and reaching out into our community. Every invitation issued to come to Alpha is about mission, is a witness for the gospel, simply issuing an invitation to someone. Uh, that's a victory. That's, the, that's mission. If people accept the invitation and come, that's a bonus. If they find Christ when they do Alpha, that's a special bonus. But simply offering the course is fulfilling this call to mission. And so we're a mission-shaped church through the agencies we support, but also through ministries like Alpha. So let's wrap this up. My friends, this is the time of year when we ask you to especially pray and consciously decide what your pledge will be for the coming year. I want to direct you to this little brochure that you should have got as you came in. Please read, mark, learn and inwardly digest. Uh, as you come to make your decision. You can also uh, collect your envelopes today if you use the envelope way of giving. Uh, apart from envelopes, though, these days a lot of people don't use cash, so uh, there is direct debit giving. You can do that online. There is the QR code at the end of every service where you can point your phone at that and give in that way as well. Lots of opportunity. I always encourage people to think of their giving in percentage terms. If you're a pensioner, then a small percentage will be a wholehearted and generous gift unto the Lord. If you have a significant income, then I want to suggest that looking at a big percentage is what is needed if it's to be a sacrificial offering to the Lord. 
John Calvin said this. He said, God never requires that you should contribute more than your resources allow. In this way, none is left with any excuse. Since rich men owe God a large tribute and poor men have no reason to be ashamed if they, what they give is small. And I think Paul says much the same in verse 15 of uh, 2 Corinthians 8 there when he says, The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. But most importantly, please take time this week to pray, to think through. Uh, Take time to reflect on 1 Corinthians 8 and Paul's exhortation to be generous. Take time to reflect on John 3 and what it means to be a new creature in Christ, a totally new person with a completely new perspective on your finances. Look afresh at the vision of your church and the progress we're making achieving it. And live out the values of being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led, mission-shaped. Please renew your commitment this week and excel in the grace of giving. And may your decision bring great glory to God. Amen.